You may go ahead and be seated. Over the last couple of weeks, we've been in a series called Family Survival Kit, where we've been preparing a, a, a spiritual survival kit for our families and for our homes. When storms arise, when chaos ensues, that we are equipped, that we are ready, that we are prepared to handle all of the various things that we experience within our homes, within our family, within this life. First, we talked about the need of, of having some identification papers, some copies of identification papers, so that in a moment's notice, you would be able to grab those and you would be able to have that. And spiritually, we need to know who we are. Spiritually, we need to understand who we are in Christ Jesus. Today, we are going to be looking at parenting. It's important for us to remember a couple weeks ago about the reality that in Christ Jesus, we've already received the A, that our identity is not found in, in being the perfect mom and being the, the perfect dad and being the perfect person. That is an illusion that the enemy tries to set before us that makes us depend on ourselves and not Christ. You've already received the A. But there's wisdom that we can learn from God's word. There's wisdom that we can apply to our lives that will bring us and help us to have peace and joy, to have victory in those moments as well. And then last week, we looked at the reality that we need a flashlight and how our marriages are that way to a lost and a dying world, that they shine light into the darkness in a very profound, mysterious way, Paul would say, that references Christ and his bride, the church, and how important our marriages are for our homes. Today, we are going to look together at parenting. So I want to invite you to open your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 22, verse 6, and probably one of the most well-known verses in all of Scripture. But I'd also pose to you one of the most misaligned and one of the verses that are most often taken out of context to what it is that God's word is demonstrating for us and teaching us about. Now, I remember uh, when I was married, I became a father instantaneously. My wife had adopted our oldest daughter who is getting ready to turn 16. That's a prayer request, not just me <laughs> throwing that out there. That's, that's a prayer request. She's getting ready to turn 16. She was four when I met my wife. She was six when me and my wife got married. But I, I, I remember just stepping into that, that, that role of, uh, of dad and the overwhelming kind of fear that that can produce in an individual's life. I remember being at the hospital when my wife gave birth to uh, our daughter, Ava, uh, and I remember seeing her and looking at her, and I mean, everything in me was like, it, it just got real. This, this individual, now listen, I, I've been known, I've been known to drive a little bit over the speed limit. I've been known to have a little bit heavy of a foot. But when I was taking my daughter Ava home from the hospital at St. Francis, now we lived in Broken Arrow at 51st and Lynn Lane. I drove with my hazard lights on <laughs> the entire way. This ain't no lie. I drove with my hazard lights on going 25 miles per hour 
with people passing me, just pass me then, just pass me then. I'm not going. In fact, we, we didn't even make it probably 200 yards before I pulled into another building, uh, another parking lot, once we left the hospital to make sure that I had fastened her safely and that, that, that the baby seat was in properly. Nothing can prepare you to be a parent. I met an individual that had eight children, eight kids, and I asked him, what was the hardest, going from two to three where you stop playing man-to-man and you have to go to zone? Is it, is it three to four, four to five? Once you get past six, does it even matter? And you know what he told me? He said the hardest number to go from was zero to one. Nothing can prepare you to be a parent, but nothing can compare to the joy that parenting brings as well. Today, I want us to look at what it looks like to raise spiritual warriors. Our world needs God's people to raise spiritual warriors, not rule followers, not moralistic people pleasers, but spiritual warriors. And spiritual warriors, to raise them, requires discipleship, discipline, and demonstration, and we're going to talk about those today. Now, I want to, at the outset, before we look at our text today, now, this is not an exhaustive look at parenting. The Bible has a lot to say about parenting. We are looking primarily at what the book of Proverbs will teach about parenting. And I am no expert in parenting either. Now, I pray that everybody in here understands whether this is your first time here or not. I love this church, and I love everybody that God brings to this church. So understand my heart. I love you. You say, I don't even know you. It doesn't matter. Christ died for you. He loves you. I love you. Sometimes we got to have some hard conversations. Sometimes we got to have some hard conversations. But I pray that you understand that for the last 10 days or so, God's been convicting me of this, and he deals with me long before I ever bring it to you. In our country and in this world in general, our children are worshipped in an unhealthy way. The Duke of Windsor came and visited America one time and was asked, what did you think about America? And he said, I was absolutely floored and stunned and amazed at how well the parents obey the children. Children don't belong to us. They belong to God. First and foremost, you need to understand, your children don't belong to you. They belong to God. And just like everything that's been entrusted to your care, you're to steward that in a way that brings him glory. He has never called you to prepare them for a bubble. He has called you to prepare them for the battle. We are called to raise spiritual Warriors, And in our text today, we see in Proverbs 22, verse 6, we see this most well-known of verses. Proverbs 22, 6 tells us, train up a child in the way he should go. 
Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Now, many individuals have heard this verse, understand this verse, and so many individuals have misunderstood this verse, and you are living in condemnation because your children may have gone wayward, and you are thinking it is all because of your fault. So on top of the brokenheartedness of having a wayward prodigal child, you are now blaming yourself because you weren't a good enough parent. Well, we're going to unpack this verse and understand exactly what it really is speaking to us in regards to. But I do want to draw your attention to this idea of train up. Now, train, it, is, it means more than just teaching. It's, it's more than just talking or, or scolding or harping on or nagging or spanking. And yes, I said the S word in church, and we're going to talk about it. It's more than that. To train means to prepare for a contest, according to Webster's Dictionary. To instruct by exercise, to drill, to form to a proper shape, to discipline for use. Raise up a spiritual warrior means to train them. And there's importance for us to understand exactly what that is. Now, this word... Train up, the word that is used in the Hebrew is used four times in the Old Testament. And the three other times, it's not translated train up, it's translated dedicate. In fact, we see this reality in Deuteronomy 20, uh, uh, verse, verse 5. Deuteronomy 20, verse 5 tells us uh, this, this reality uh, of the dedication of, of what that, that looks like. I, I, think we, I think we have that. Whatever the next, the next slide. Yeah, Deuteronomy 25. Then the officer shall speak to the people, saying, Is there any man who has built a new house and has not dedicated it? That's the same word in the Hebrew as train up. Let him go back to his house, lest he die in the battle, and another man dedicate it. Now, the other time that it's used is in 1 Kings 8.63. One of the other times it's used in 1 Kings 8.63, it says, Solomon offered as peace offerings to the Lord 22,000 oxen and 120,000 sheep. So the king and all the people of Israel dedicated the house of the Lord. Same word that's used in Proverbs 22.6 is the word that is translated dedicate. It's this idea of giving over to. In October, we will have our baby dedication where we have parents come up and stand before the church and they say, we want you to hold us accountable to raising up a spiritual warrior. We dedicate this child to God Almighty and for God to use him. We recognize that we've been entrusted with this child and we want to steward this child for your glory and we are dedicating him to you. Now, you don't have to wait till October when we have the, the, that formal uh, uh, service where we do that. You can do that right now, and you should do that right now. Whether your your baby is is one or if it's your your baby that's twenty one, dedicate them to the Lord. Make sure that you are praying for them and giving them over to the Lord each and every moment of each and every day. Now, here's where we kind of lose a little bit of sight of what Proverbs twenty two six is really talking about. Because almost in almost every English translation, there is a word that is added to this verse that is not there in the original Hebrew. 
the word should or right is usually added into this verse that is not there in the original Hebrew language. It's added because uh, there, there is no descriptor or qualifier on the word way in the original Hebrew. And so they add in should or they add in right to that. But this, this idea uh, uh, of of what this verse is really saying is that the literal translation should be rendered, train a child in his way, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. That, that's the most literal translation that you can get from the original Hebrew. Train a, train a child in his way, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Now, that word way is really speaking of the bend of a tree or the bend of a bow. Maybe you've understood or heard individuals preach this idea that each child has their own unique bin. Each child has their own unique kind of way about them. They have their own unique personality. And, and you need to understand that, that your children don't come in a one-size-fits-all package. That they, they have their own characteristics, they have their own personality, and you need to be uh, aware enough, you need to be diligent enough and vigilant enough to know each of those children that God has entrusted you to and how you can minister to them, how you can disciple them, how you can build them up. Now, that is a good and that is a right translation. That's a, that's a good interpretation of this verse. However, I would pose to you that that is an underlining truth of a greater reality and a greater truth that is there on the surface of Proverbs 22, verse 6. Because this, that, that idea that what this is talking about is each child has its own unique characteristic and its own unique personality, and you need to learn that own unique characteristic and personality, it doesn't fit with the flow of Proverbs. Because in the flow of Proverbs, what it says at six other times when it uses the word child or youth, it says that their hearts are filled with folly. Now, it doesn't mean they're foolish. It means really that, that they're silly. Their ways are silly. You see, each child does have a unique characteristic, has unique passions and gifts and talents, and we should understand those. But... If we allow them to go their own way, if we train a child or we dedicate them to their own way, it doesn't matter what their personality is like. They will always bend their gifts, their talents, and their treasures to a selfish nature, and they will always bend it towards rebellion. All of Scripture says the exact opposite of what Disney tries to tell you. Just follow your heart. Just follow your... The Bible says that is the worst advice you could ever take in the history of mankind because your heart is desperately wicked above all things and the natural bend of each and every person is towards rebellion. So this is not a promise. It is the exact opposite of a promise. It's a warning. If you let them go their own way, Proverbs 14 says that there's a way that seems right to man, but in the end it leads to death. This is not a promise. This is a warning saying if you let them go their own way, guess what they're going to do? They're not going to depart from it when they get older. Their conscience is going to be seared. 
They're going to desire to have them. You give them everything they want, guess what you're doing? You're producing a selfish individual that is going to have their heart bent on rebellion each and every moment of their lives. So we need to dedicate them to the Lord and start to steer them towards Christ Jesus. That is the role and the responsibility of each parent. The role and the responsibility of each parent is not to save your child. You couldn't even save yourself, so how are you going to save your child? But the role and the responsibility of each parent is you better correct them, you better instruct them, you better disciple them, and you better demonstrate your faith to them so that you can start the process of pointing them to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He will save them when they place their faith in him, and he will change their hearts and give them a new heart and help them to navigate life that way. It's not a promise. Don't beat yourself up. You got a wayward prodigal son? Listen. Wayward prodigal daughter? Listen. Did you teach them about the things of God? If you didn't, you need to repent. Did you teach them about the things of God? Did you teach them the truth about God's word? Did you show them the, the narrow path? Did you point them to Jesus Christ as being the only hope that they have? Then you know what God's word says? Job well done. Now, they have their own free will, and they can reject the truth of God Almighty, or they can embrace the truth of God Almighty, but God doesn't have any grandchildren. You understand that? God doesn't have any grandchildren. He only has children. He only got sons and daughters. That's it. doesn't matter about... Uh, uh, your parents' faith, it matters about your faith. Who do you say Jesus is? And each and every one of us have to answer that question for ourselves. Now, 1 Samuel 3.13 shows us this reality about an individual who was, who was a, a, a strong follower, but he was a horrible father. See that, that Eli and, and his sons, and I declare to him, God talking about how he was not taking care of his home. I declare to him that I'm about to punish his house forever for the inquiry uh, or the iniquity uh, that he knew because his sons were blaspheming God and he did not restrain them. Our job is to that idea of restrain. It's that train. It's that retraining. It's that, that taking away from that natural bend and showing them the direction that they should go. And so first and foremost, raising a spiritual warrior requires discipleship. It requires discipleship, first and foremost. We have to understand that. Your job and your role is to disciple your children in the ways of God. Listen to me. You, you may say, my, my, my children are grown. I'm talking to you about your grandkids then. You may say, we don't have children yet. I'm talking to you about maybe one day you will. Your role and responsibility is to disciple your children. That ain't the public school's job. We've seen what we've got when we've entrusted our children to the public school to change the bend that they naturally have towards rebellion and towards selfishness and towards the things of the world. It's not the public school's job. It was never the government's job. I would even pose to you that the church's job is not the primary responsibility to disciple your children. It's to disciple you so you know how to disciple your children. That you need to be discipling your children. You need to be pouring into them the things of God Almighty. You need to train them to honor the Son of God. You need to train them to honor the Word of God. You need to train them to honor the day of God. And you need to train them to honor the house of God. 
You need to honor the Son of God, the Word of God, the Day of God, and the House of God. Now, we're going to talk a little bit more about, about those things here in just a moment. But when we talk about discipleship, discipleship must be central. That must be the primary thing you do. The primary thing for you is not to provide an easy, comfortable life for your children. That's not the first thing that God calls you to. We ought to do that. We ought to have a desire to do that. But the thing that God calls you to, that he entrusted those children with you to do, is to teach them about God and his word and the principles and the truths of his word. That's your number one priority and responsibility. Don't put that on the back burner. Don't add that on to things that you're just doing and, and just kind of add that on as an afterthought. That is your primary function and your primary role as a parent. That has to be central to everything it is that you do. Discipleship has to be central. And if it's central, then we also have to understand discipleship must be calculated. It's got to be intentional. It's not going to just happen. How many of you just, as parents, you know that you want to do this. You want to train your children. You want to disciple them. You want to teach them not to go the way of the world, but to go the way of Christ. You want to teach them about the gospel. But by the end of the day, you're just so tired. Man, you've done everything else. You come in, and, and man, it, you're just wore out. And so you just don't, don't end up doing it, not because you don't want to do it, not because you don't see the importance of doing it, just because you don't ever get around to do it. Well, you need to be intentional because the enemy will distract you, and the enemy enemy will put up every kind of roadblock that he can think of to prevent you from discipling your children. And you need to make sure that that is central. And so therefore, you need to be calculated with how it is that you're going to disciple your children. And you block that off. Is that in the morning when you're getting ready for school and breakfast? Is that at night? One of the things that we need to get back to doing as families is we need to have meals around the dinner table. We need to have meals at the table with the TV off, no iPads, no iPhones, no nothing at, at the table. And we need to look at each other in the eye. We need to talk to each other about each other's day. And we need to point each other to Jesus Christ. Discipleship must be calculated. Proverbs 6.20 tells us this. My son, keep your father's commandment and forsake not your mother's teaching. Now, listen, it's a dual involvement. Father's the commandment. Mother's the teaching. We come alongside. Father's laying down the principles. Mom coming alongside and helping undergird those and teaching those children about those principles as well. Why? Because verse 23 of Proverbs 6 goes on to tell us, for the commandment is a lamp, the commandment, and the teaching is a light, and the reproofs of discipline are the way of life. So it's not just for the fathers. It's not just for the mothers. It's for us to come alongside and to pour into our children together. And thirdly, discipleship must be consistent. It must be consistent. You need to make sure that you're consistent. You're never going to bat a 1,000. Trust me, you're never going to bat a 1,000. Things are going to happen. You're going to miss some here and there. But you need to be consistent with your discipleship. You need to be consistent with your family time of worship. And you each should have a family time of worship where you set aside time, where you read Bible together, you, you sing a song of praise together, you pray together. It doesn't need to be elaborate. I think oftentimes when we think about leading family worship, we think in these context of uh, these ideas that, that, that it's going to be this, this big sermon that we got to preach and we got to prepare a sermon each night. 
Or we've tried it and we've fallen under the illusion that, listen, if you've got a four-year-old, I'm telling you right now, they're not going to sit there and listen to your three-point sermon. And we get so frustrated because they're running around and, and it doesn't go the way we want it to go. And we want everything to be perfect and we want everybody to just sit still and listen. And if they don't, then, oh, my goodness, I must be doing it wrong. No, they're four. It's not that they, and they're listening. Trust me. Five, ten minutes. Speak truth into the lives, but be consistent with it. Now, even though it's a joint effort between mother and father, I want to say this. Men, you are to be the pastor of the flock that is called your family. You are to pastor that flock. I'm telling you right now, your family would love nothing more than for you to come and grab your wife's hand and your children's hand and say, listen, maybe I haven't done a good job of this up to this point. And I repented to God Almighty for it, and I ask for your forgiveness. But each and every night, as best of my ability, we are going to sit down, and for at least five to ten minutes, we are going to read from God's word, and we're going to pray together. There's no better time to start right now. And men, God is calling you to be that spiritual leader in your home. He's calling you to pastor that flock that is called your family. Now, what would it look like if we just sporadically every once in a while held, held church on Sunday? And y'all came in here, and, and, and nobody was in here. Nothing was prepared. Nobody was ready. We, we didn't do anything. Doors were locked. Doors were shut. You say, that's a pretty sorry church. Well, how many nights do you go without discipling and training your children? What kind of church is that? And that's not to heap condemnation on you, but it is to challenge you, and I pray through the Holy Spirit, to convict you to understand your role as the leader of your home to disciple your family. You say, my kids don't live in my house anymore. That's okay. You got grandchildren. When you have the opportunity to do so, you pour into their lives. Send, send a text every day to, to your children. I'm praying for you. Just something. Let them know. Disciple them. Your job isn't over yet. It's, it's a different, different way to go about it, but your job is not over yet. Disciple your children. Secondly, raising a spiritual warrior requires discipline. It requires discipline. Discipline in the sense that we need to be disciplined to do these things. We need to be consistent, but discipline also in the sense that sometimes our kids act up. Do they not? Don't leave me up here. Don't leave me up here like I'm the only one. Sometimes our, our children, they, because they do have uh, that adamic nature about them and that proclivity to go towards sin, that, that desire in them to rebel against God and the ways of God. And we need to understand for children, one of the ways of God is for you to honor and obey your parents. We need to make sure that, that we are disciplining our children. Now, I'm fixing to talk about spanking. I'm going to talk about the S word, okay? And I know everybody's got a different idea uh, uh, about that. But here's the deal. I want for all of us right now, let Dr. Spock go. Let, let Dr. Phil go. Let everything else go that you've read that is not biblical and let that go for a second. Because what we need to look at is what we need to look at what God's word says. I don't care how many PhDs you got on the wall. If it wasn't inspired by the living, true God, then guess what? I got something that trumps what you're talking about. And if anybody thinks that there is never a reason for a spanking. Now, now I got to be real careful with this, too. I say spanking. 
I didn't say hitting. I didn't say abusing. And if something is going on in your house to the, to the level of abuse, you need, to, you need to reach out and you need to get help and you need to stop that right this second. But anything that, that says you should never spank a child is in complete contradiction to God's word. And I'm going to go with God's word each and every time. Now, we're going to talk about this. We're going to unpack about this. I see a few of you squirming right now. That's okay. I love you. We're going to talk about it. And we're going to look at what God's word says about it. Discipline proves your love for your child. It proves your love for your child. Proverbs 13, 24. Proverbs 13, 24 tells us, Whoever spares the rod hates his son. But he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. Now, we're going to talk. Spanking isn't the, the only form of disciplining. In fact, I will tell you it's the last form. We're going to look at that. Whoever spares the rod hates his son. But he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. Proverbs 3, verse 11 through 12 says, My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof, for the Lord reproves him who he loves. It's a reflection of God's love. Does God not discipline us? Does God not bring into our lives, sometimes discipline? Absolutely he does. And what does he do it out of? He does it out of love. As a father, uh, as a father of the son in whom he delights. Listen, I'm just telling you, uh, sometimes children's ears are on their backside. God's given in his creation a spanking zone, and that, that's where the spanking should occur. Right there, and, and not to where you, you bruise or where you leave a mark, but, wh but where they still know that they did wrong. You, you ever seen a mama in the store just, wah, 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 wah. get out the way. Wah, 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 wah. That's not what we're talking about. That's not discipline out of love. That's disciplining out of frustration and anger and impatience. That's not what we're talking about. And I would tell you that that, the reprimand should, in, in very, only in very rare cases, should be done in public in front of individuals where you humiliate that child. See, see the, the, the goal is not to break their spirit, it's to win their will. And there's a big difference in how you go about it and when you do it and what that looks like. Hebrews 12, 11 says this. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. After you administer that discipline, you need to pick that child up. You need to hug that child. You need to love that child, and you need to speak truth into that, the heart of that child about how much you love that child. Now, they're not going to understand it in that. I didn't understand it when my daddy did that to me. This hurts me way more than it hurts you. Pfft. Don't seem like it. <laughs> you ain't crying. This is the way that you show. I, I knew I was my, my daddy's favorite because he showed me he loved me a lot. <laughs> I, I knew I was the favorite. Shoot. You got to come alongside of them. Now, here, here's some things that I think we need to look at and we need to understand as well. Never discipline in anger. Never discipline in anger. 
You need to step away from the situation, and you need to pray about it. You need to pray, God, show me what the correct discipline needs to be. God, show me how I can show your love to my child. And, Lord, bind up Satan, who wants to use my emotions right now to lash out in anger with words or with discipline. And you need to take a step back, remove yourself from the situation, and you need to pray about it. You need to ask God to help you. Why? Because James 1.20 teaches us this reality and this truth. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. If you're disciplined out of anger, you're not going to be able to produce in that child's life what it is that you want to produce. You want them to, you want to produce in their life a desire for the righteousness of God. You're not going to be able to do that if you're ministering that discipline out of anger. When you take a step back, remove yourself from the situation, when you pray... And when you speak truth into that child's life and you do it out of love, it's easier for them to receive it. Now, I'm going to also tell you that spanking ought to be the last resort. Ought to be the very last resort. Revelations 3.19 tells us, those whom I love, Jesus says, I reprove and discipline. You see the discipline comes second. I reprove. In other words, I try to course correct. I talk to them. Is not Jesus Christ patient with us? Is not God patient with us? Now, there will be a day where, where, where the, the wrath of God is poured out on those that have rejected him. But he is patient up to that point. And we need to learn patience of how it is that we deal with our children. We need to be patient. And we need to make sure that spanking is at the very last resort of what it is that we do. It's got to be the very last resort. And we also need to understand that if any children have been entrusted to our care by the state or by, by the government, many of us uh, in, in here, we, we submit to the authority that the state says that when we entrust children into your care through foster or through, uh, uh, through the foster care system, that, that listen, that, this is not an option. You've got to find ways to dis discipline them because a lot of those children are coming out of homes where it was done the wrong way. You need to be wise about that. You need to be wise of how you go about those things. But there is a time and a place where God's word says that you need to snatch up little Timmy and you need to talk to the ears that are on his backside. Okay? Too many parents, we just, we don't want anything. Listen, for you not to spank your child, that's more selfish. That's more about you because it brings you discomfort to do it. Little Timmy wants to burn down the patio furniture, then, then you'll buy strike easy matches so he's not frustrated. Don't do that. We want to give, we want to give our children, we don't want them to have any kind of discomfort. We don't want them to have any kind of displeasure. We just want them to live in this bubble where everything is given over to them, and we are destroying our children as a result of it. One of the worst things we ever did was participation trophies. One of the worst things this country ever did. Now, that's a whole nother sermon. I ain't going <laughs> to preach that one. But that's one of the worst things we ever did. You get some just because you showed up. Why? You, you're the slowest person out of I'm not saying that, you know, you may be the greatest band player ever. But I'm just telling you, the 100-meter dash ain't your event. You can't just get some for showing up. And now, individuals, what happens? I want to check. Why? Because I'm breathing. Well, what's that mean? Well, I showed up. And what you do? whole nother sermon. All right. 
Discipline promotes personal responsibility. It promotes personal responsibility. Listen, the, the goal, the ultimate goal of discipline is getting them to understand their need of a savior because they are a sinner. And we need to talk on multiple levels to our children. We need to ask questions when they're disobeying. We need to ask questions. We need to speak to them on a physical level. You will stay in if you disobey. Now, if you tell them you're going to do something, you're not going to go outside if you disobey. Don't 20 minutes later, after they bat little eyes to you, so my baby's such a little angel. So was Satan. <laughs> so was Satan. So is Lucifer. Don't give in 20 minutes later. If you say you're not going outside, don't let them go outside. Because what they've learned is if I throw a big enough fit or if I wait long enough, I'll wear you down and I'll get what I want. You'll stay inside if you disobey. You talk to them on a physical level. You talk to them on an emotional level. You will really hurt me by doing that. You see, our kids are different. Sometimes, li listen, I, I can tell you, my, my daughter, she just assumed, give me a spanking and I'll just act however I want the rest of the day. <laughs> I don't do nothing to her. Okay, shoot, that gets it over with quicker. Now, if I put her in timeout and I put her on her bed and I take some toys away from her, oh, my Lord, she's done for. She just, she, she's in sackcloth and ashes the rest of the day. <laughs> Promise me you won't do that again. Talk to them on the will, on the, on the level of will. The intellect. Some, you, you got to speak to them on the intellect. Was that a smart thing to do? Speak to them on that. But ultimately, where you want to do is you want to speak to them on the level of conscience. Did you tell me the truth? In that, the, in that, what God did in the Garden of Eden? Where are you? He knew where they were. He knew what they had done. He wanted to speak to them on the level of conscience that they would confess their sin. When we speak to our children on the level of conscience, we are now partnering with the Holy Spirit of God who brings conviction upon the conscience. And what happens is if you only discipline on the level of the physical side, you can have people-pleasing rule followers all you want. But they may be the most wayward, most rebellious individuals that you ever met towards God. A seared conscience is what we're in danger of producing when what we're trying to do is just produce rule followers instead of followers of Christ. You see, ultimately, discipline is a rescue plan. It's an idea of showing that child their great need for Jesus Christ. And those moments of discipline are great moments to share the gospel. You know what? I mess up too. And because of that, that sin that is in my life, I'm separated from God by that sin. But can I tell you about Jesus Christ and what Jesus Christ did for me on the cross? He died for me to forgive me of that sin because I could never be perfect. And just in the same way that you have disobeyed and that you, you have uh, uh, done wrong to mommy and daddy, then you have, you have disobeyed God, and that's called sin. But I want to tell you about Jesus and their teaching opportunities and their teaching moments that we shouldn't just let pass. Discipline is a rescue plan in which we can point individuals and our children to, to, to Jesus Christ. First Timothy 1 Timothy 1.5 tells us this. 
The aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. In other words, he's saying, Timothy and the leaders of the church at Ephesus, what I'm about to write to you at the very aim of it, at the very heart of it, is that I want you to have a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. And any kind of discipline, any kind of correction that we bring into the life of our children ought to have that at the very aim of it, that we want to produce a pure heart and they're seeing their need for Jesus, a good conscience, and they're seeing their need for Jesus and a sincere faith as they place their faith in him. And then di discipline provides posts to direct your children to the right path. So it puts them, it points them to the right path. Proverbs 23, 14 tells us this. If you strike him with the rod, you will save his soul from Sheol. That we want them to see that there, there are paths that they need to, to stay on, that they're getting outside of the path. And when we resort to physical spanking, again, it ought to be the last resort. It's like when you, you drift over the, the yellow line on the road and you start, you know that? You've been there? Yeah? Okay. You know that? Okay. It's a warning. Get back on the right path. Get back. Now, the whole road shouldn't be made like that. If that's all you're doing is spanking, the whole road, you should I mean, that's so glad. Well, we have those roads, but what I'm saying is... It's a whole road shouldn't be made like that, but there are times of discipline that says you need to get back in line and you need to get back on the right path because where you're heading is a place that will lead to destruction. Discipline is something that we need to make sure that we are doing in a biblical way. First, trying to minister to them at the level of their conscience, but also understanding that God does speak into our lives through his word that there are times that there is physical discipline, not, not abuse, not abuse. God's word is completely against that. But discipline that is done in love to show our children their great need for Jesus Christ and to help them to course correct and to stay away from that natural bend that they have to go towards the things of the world and not the things of the word. And lastly, raising a spiritual warrior requires demonstration. They need to see it in our lives. If you preach a gospel contrary to the gospel that you live out or the life that you live out, that can be one of the most detrimental things to that child that you could ever dream or imagine. They need to see it lived out in your life. So when you mess up, you need to fess up. You need, to, you need to acknowledge it. You know what? I'm so sorry. I should, I should not have talked to you in that tone. I shouldn't have got mad at you like that. I shouldn't have, I shouldn't have done this. I, I asked for your, I've asked God for, for his forgiveness, and I'm asking you for, for your forgiveness. We, we need to make sure that they, they see in our lives what it is that we desire for to be produced in theirs. We cannot put anything in our children's heart that is not first in our own any more than we can come from where we've not been. They need to see in our, our lives a love for the things of God. Now, the phrase train up back in, in Proverbs 22.6, the etymology of that also has at the very heart of that word train up, the etymology also has at the heart of it this, this idea of a word that, that means uh, to, to put on one's palate, 
It's this idea of putting something in the mouth to be tasted. Hebrew midwives and, and, and Hebrew mamas, what they would do to get a, a child to suckle, what they would do to get a, a child to swallow is they would take a piece of a date or they'd take a little bit of honey and they would press it up onto the palate of the top of one's mouth and that created a natural instinct to swallow. And they would cause that child to, to swallow. And this idea of training up a child, of dedicating them in the proper way, is this idea of putting something in their mouth that causes them to want more of that and to swallow it. Psalm 34, 8 says, taste of the Lord and see that it is good. Our lives ought to be lived in such a way that we're touching the spiritual palate of our children's mouth to say, I want what it is that mom and dad have. I want what it is that, that they have, the peace and the joy they have. I want the truth of God's word. I hunger for the things of God, for the people of God. And our lives are a way in which we touch the palate spiritually of their mouths to cause them to want to swallow and intake those things that we are looking at. How do we do that? Lastly, real quickly, demonstrate. How do we demonstrate our faith? You demonstrate your faith through works. So they need, your children need to see you serving. If you're not serving in the church, if you're not serving in the community, I would lovingly call you to start the process of serving in the church, serving in the community, and bring your children along with you in those times. And let your children see you serving. Let them see what's important. Demonstrate your faith through worship. Your children need to see you worshiping. At home, in, in the car, uh, we try to carve out at least once a quarter uh, that we have a family worship time now it's hard for us to do in this setting until we get the new worship center built just because of space but we want our children to see us worshiping they need to see us worshiping they need to see us praising god they need to see us studying god's word they need to see those things demonstrate your faith through witnessing they need to see you sharing the gospel with other individuals you take them with you as you go minister to the neighbor bring them along they need to see you sharing the gospel with others, and they need to see your faith demonstrated through your words. The way you talk to your spouse, the way you talk to them, the way you talk to other individuals, what it is that you talk about, what it is that you listen to, what it is that you watch on TV. You need to make sure you're demonstrating your faith through your works, your worship, your witnessing, and your words. Amen? In other words, we need to live our lives to where we're the compass, that we're showing them the way that leads to Jesus.